flying saucers. This is all an illusion. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the 22nd episode of Two Riders Slinging Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, author of a bunch of books, and a columnist for The Athletic. The music you're listening to is Croissant's Master by the near-legendary MC White Owl. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from journalism to songwriting to screenwriting to novels to romance to comics to whatever genre pops into my head. And today's guest is Chuck Creekmer, the editor and founder of AllHipHop.com. And I really want to dig into something I've yet to discuss on this podcast, which is music writing, covering music, covering artists, reviewing their work, and being critical of people you've come to like and admire. So let's get musical right now on Two Writers Slinging Yang. All right, first, Chuck, I, I, I want to thank you hugely. And um, I was going to say little known fact, but I don't know if anyone would care to make little known fact. You and I, both products... <laughs> of the University of Delaware student newspaper. But the funny thing is, when I think of you from Delaware, I think of you as a cartoonist. Because I was really, your <laughs> role at the review was you did sort of editorial cartoonists and if we needed art or like you actually didn't write that much in college. Am I misremembering right. that at all? Um, I wrote a lot, but I didn't write all that much for the paper, the review. I wrote a lot in general. You know, I, I did the Pomosia, which was the black student oh, newspaper yeah. too. Right. Yeah, so I did I did both. So I did a lot of writing, but I was involved in a lot of things, including the radio station and um, other activities outside of the re review. Right. That's really interesting. Because I remember, I can, not only do I remember you as a cartoonist, I can picture in my head right now as we're speaking, your style of artwork, your sort of sense of humor through artwork. And um, you were really good. You were by far our best artist at the review, which either means you were a tremendous artist or we had no one else to go to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's funny because i look back at, uh, at those pictures and i kind of cringe uh a lot you know i used to i don't know if you guys rec re realize this but i used to put in subliminal messages so i would always have like subliminal messages that only my friends would pick up on or i would diss people <laughs> in those cartoons and it, it used to get me in trouble all the time so oh my god <laughs> so that's some parts of me are like it, that was like those were also low points in my life because i was doing things that that um was kind of despicable <laughs> oh my god in in my other uh other life uh, on campus that's really funny because you were like you were this very quiet presence like you would come up i was the editor of the student newspaper senior year and you were around the office a lot but you would kind of come up quietly and you would get your sort of writing assignments and then you know come tuesday there'd be chuck creekmer's piece of art and and who knew there were all these subliminal messages um, right yeah i really enjoyed that at that atmosphere i really i really enjoyed it it was um pretty cool i i didn't really get to know people that well but um i liked the atmosphere and the camaraderie too that was there yeah and there was always free pizza and you can't go wrong with free pizza yeah yeah um, right definitely. so i am uh i'm fascinated by your writing and your career and and i this is the 22nd episode and i've yet to um I've yet to have a, a music writer on and, and someone who covers music. And I was reading, um, I was reading your review uh, the other day of 444. And I, it came out in June, but, but uh, of Jay-Z's most recent album. Uh, and I just mm -hmm. want to read an excerpt from this real quick. I thought it was really good. Um, Jay-Z has released his 13th album, 444, and it could be his most potent work in a long time. 
For quite some time, hip-hop has, has been in a perpetual state of civil war with no law or order. In mere hours, Jay-Z's latest has already reigned in the chaos, causing the internet to ooze all over the album with their unadulterated affection for the Brooklyn King. It is well-deserved and well-earned. 444 clocks in under 40 minutes, but it is a dense, superlative piece of art. The album was produced exclusively by veteran producer No ID, known for his longtime work with Common. The Chicagoan provides an immaculate palette for Jay-Z to paint over, and together they effortlessly craft a masterpiece. So I'm really fascinated. When you are reviewing music, um, what are you looking for and what are you listening for? Well, I don't review a lot of music outright. Uh, obviously, I listen to a lot and maybe write reviews in my head, but when I, when I commit to writing something um, for the public to consume, it's generally something I'm very passionate about, either positively or the other side. Uh, with, Jay, with Jay-Z's album, 444, I was, uh, I like fell in love with that album immediately for a number of reasons. But the uh, one thing I, I like to look for is um, impact across genres, across age groups, across you know, from the underground to the pop world to, you know, other universes and places that you wouldn't typically see something or things that are impactful in negative ways, too. So I generally am looking for something that I personally gravitate towards to, you know, sometimes it might be even in defense of. There are a lot of young artists who people criticize or condemn. And I'm like, come on, guys, like lighten up. You know, this guy is a young kid and he's trying to do his thing the way the guys we love were trying to do their thing. So, you know, it depends on the artist. It depends on the um, the music, but it's usually something personal. So are you I, you know, it's interesting because I, I feel like like this is an example. Lately, I've been in a Jim Croce. I've been listening to a ton of Jim Croce. I don't know how much Jim Croce uh-huh. you've listened to in your day, but the. The guy was this really good lyricist, and my whole life, I never listened to the lyrics of a Jim Croce song. You know, um, mm-hmm. I would just hear the music. You know, I just hear the music. Right. Like, and I wonder when you were when you were writing about music, and I guess especially hip hop, is there a do the lyrics take? Do you consider the lyrics what the person is saying, what message he's trying to bring across, um, more important? Uh, than the beats, than the rhythm, than sort of the music behind it? No, I mean, for me, they go hand in hand. For me, obviously, coming from where I come from, lyrics are supremely important, and they they do hold the most weight. But without the proper music, it's all meaningless. You know, it's it's relatively pointless. So, yeah, I listen to, to uh, music to gravitate to something in the song. I was listening to a young drill rapper from Chicago the other day, and he said Emmett Till in his song. I mean, the whole song is about all this depravity and negativity, and then he shouts out Emmett Till, and I was like, oh, now I have something to latch on to. Right. <laughs> so, so, I mean, for me, that's a personal you know, that's an individual who I, I, you know, always think about. So even in, in the context of the song, it, it made a whole different, it took a whole new concept, connotation, e- even in the negative parts to just take a moment to shout out, you know, Emmett Till. So I don't even know if people 
generally know who Emmett Till was, but um, I hope so. But the beat, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I do too. <laughs> but the the beat the beat was uh, you know, it had a hard beat. It was so simple and basic, and um, ultimately, um, that pulled me in to listen to the whole song. Which, um, by the way, was referred to me from my uh, my seventeen year old cousin. So, oh man, I got to shout him out. You that, know. that actually, that that's an interesting point. So, I have a uh, I have a nephew who is also actually seventeen, and he's always referring to me. Uh, you know, different artists I should be listening to. He's 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 a YouTube hop head. In fact, his father is um, founded. You you know the website Ambrosia for Heads. I don't know if you know that. Of it's course, a, yeah. So his father is Reggie, who founded Ambrosia for Heads, and that's my nephew. And um, so there's always oh, well, refer- okay. Shout out Reggie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great guy. And uh, so there's always a um, he. He often will refer me to different hip hop artists. And I wonder, you know, as I age, you know, I feel like in the in the 80s I was introduced to hip hop in a huge way. In the 90s, I was I felt like I was relatively on top of hip hop and what was going on. And as I age, I mm-hmm. do find it a little harder to be relevant or to understand what's relevant or to be. It's almost like I'm watching what my parents went through and I'm living it and I kind of hate it. Uh, mm-hmm. You are, you literally <laughs> are, you know, are, you know, the founder and CEO of, of all hip hop.com. Your guy in your mid forties, does it become harder to cover an industry that is primarily for quote unquote young people? I have no problem. Well, okay. Let me backtrack. First of all, I want to proclaim myself as the guy that loves hip hop more than any person in our age bracket, period, hands down. I proclaim myself to be that. Wow. Secondly, I have little to no issue with hip-hop, right? Now, what people will consider hip-hop is it it changes from person to person. Some people will consider hip-hop to be what's on the radio. Some people will consider hip-hop, what's in the street. Some people consider it to be what's on TV. There's a lot of different definitions. And it, and I'd say none are all the way wrong. But if you really look at the state of hip-hop, it's it's great. It's never been, it's potentially never been better. You know, what's changed is the 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 methods in which we receive it. So in the 80s and the 90s, uh, so let's start in the 80s. In the 80s, you would it was so word of mouth. It was maybe a pocket here, a pocket there, right. a radio show here, you know, an hour there on the radio. Um, Yo, MTV you, raps. Yeah. And you would, and that, and that would be like once a week. And then it evolved to once a day, an hour a day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then in, in the nineties um, and so forth, you would get more radio shows. There would be more TV shows like, rap city and stuff and again an hour here two hours okay a little more and so long story short for me i love hip-hop and i think it's in a great state of 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 being um what i do think is that the forces or whatever that be including things like the deregulation of radio and things that are out of our power have changed and the methods of delivery have changed so we are oftentimes receiving things that are out of sync with what we grew up with. Mm-hmm. But to me, hip hop is a living, breathing, evolving thing. It's ever changing, just like any other music form, just like the weather. And so it's different and it should be different. It shouldn't be the same. If it was, then it would be a dying thing. Right. So 
for me, I um, I still love hip hop. Now, on the other side, I'll say that I don't love everything. I don't love everything about the industry of hip hop, the industry, the music industry, which is a whole different set of, you know, a whole set of um, criteria, you know. And I don't love everything, and I never did, and we never did. Hip hop, more than any other genre, has always been at civil war. Like I think I said that in the Jay Z thing. It's always been at war with itself. Right. You know. What do you mean by that? What does that mean? Well, it just means that first of all, it's a very young art form it's a very young genre you know if you're just specifically talking about the music which hip-hop is many things but if you're specifically talking about the music i mean you know if you talk to grandmaster melly mel he's going to have a perspective on run dmc that blows my mind which is oftentimes not positive you know he's just he just goes at them sometimes right and um and, and quite frankly when run dmc was hot they they would you know, they said they were trying to destroy pretty much everything in their path, you know. And if you look at Rakim, same thing. Kane, Big Daddy Kane and Koji Rap, same thing. Nas and Jay-Z and Biggie, same thing. And they've always, there's always been a certain level of respect, but there's also been a clash of the uh, skills, a clash of of generations, and a clash of styles. So people might look at MC Hammer, who I like a lot and have always pretty pretty much appreciated. And 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 somebody from New York is gonna is gonna hate him. They did hate him a lot right. of times. Right. Interesting. So and then forget about like Vanilla Ice or you know those that more you know pretty much only appropriated the culture. You know. So that that's always in. And is he uh, is he hip hop? You know. I don't think so, but some people would argue that he is. Right. You know, so. But why? And but then is it, push the culture. Hmm, it, go ahead. I was going to say, is it, is it, does it get harder for you at all? Because um, I find this in sports. This is the thing. I, find, I did a story recently about the USC quarterback, Sam Darnold. And uh-huh. I sat there in a room with a 20 year old kid. And I swear to God, Chuck, I thought to myself, I don't really know how I can relate to this guy. Like, yes, we both are involved in sports. And he's a quarterback, uh-huh. and I'm a sports writer. But it, it is harder for me at 45 to relate with a 20-year-old. And I wonder, as young rappers come along, is it a challenge for you, as a guy who covers hip-hop, to relate with the 20-year-old rapper as opposed to the guy who was 20 when we were 20? Yeah, but, you know, I was just telling... It, it is. It is. It definitely is. I mean, but then again, it's not. And I spoke to someone yesterday... Uh, who was I? I can't remember, but yeah, I talked to someone yesterday and we, we just talked about regular human things and life. And for me, an interview, I try my best to make it a conversation right? more than an interview. And I feel like if you're having a conversation with someone, you're talking about life, you're talking respectfully about differences, you're maybe educating someone, but the education doesn't feel like you're in a classroom where I'm talking at you. Uh, I feel like I, I want to talk to people. So I interviewed a rapper named OT Genesis just the other day. And it was a, I mean, now let me just be clear. Like I let a young writer interview him for the majority of the interview, but I got in and just asked my couple questions. You know, I, I, I wanted to talk to him too. Cause I know that he's a smart guy and I know that I'm going to bring something to the table that uh, a younger interviewer isn't necessarily going to do. 
and vice versa. A young interviewer is going to bring something that I'm not going to bring as well. And that's why we kind of double, you know, team that interview. But I I don't have issues with that. Um, I really don't. The only issue I have regarding music and, you know, my, my age and stuff is the fact that I'm not passionate about all the artists musically. So I'm not going to know some of the subtle nuances or intimacies of the music. And, and, and then I won't necessarily be able to do my job um, to the best of my ability. Interesting. Um, I feel like you, you touched on it briefly, like uh, great interviewing is great interviewing and it crosses all, you could be writing about sports. You can be writing about politics. You'd be writing about music. Um, you've interviewed a ton of people. You've interviewed a ton of famous hip hop artists, uh, musicians. Uh, what do you consider the key to, having beyond just your standard rote question, answer, question, answer interview, like how do you find the best way to get into an artist is? Well, I think the best way is to, I think the artist needs to know you ahead of time for me personally, Mm -hmm. um, or know of you or know your track record or know your uh, company's track record in my case, which I think has helped as well. Uh, it's, It's difficult because now you only have, a few minutes with the artist. Has that changed over not, the years? Yeah, it's changed a lot. The yeah. time is limited, more, way more limited for us. I mean, unless, I guess unless you have a brand that's sort of a podcast and they know that you're coming in for an hour, then you might get more time. But typically you have no more than like 30 minutes, you know, with an artist. So if you're trying to break the ice, you got to do that pretty quickly, you know, to, to, to get to that. So for me, I just prefer, and I always have preferred for people to know who I am, what I am before they even meet, you know, before we even start talking. And some of that involves being in the industry and walking through the circles over and over and over and over to the point where they know you, the the manager knows you, or the, the label knows you enough to speak on your behalf before, before the interview even happens. Right. Well, I always tell, I teach out here in, in California. I teach a, a journalism class at Chapman University. And I always say the worst, if you want to kill an interview, go in and make your first question, how old are you? Or how do you spell your last name? Or <laughs> what team do you play for? Right. Know your shit. Oh, yeah. Know your shit. Oh, absolutely. 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 I mean, one of my young writers, you know, and I'm not, Miss Lissa, I'm going to shout Miss Lissa out. She did an interview with OT the other day, and her first question was about about his, uh, the, the guy's hit song. Um, and I, afterwards, we were like, oh, I was, I mean, it was almost, I think it was a disaster that, oh my God, it came so close to disaster. Um, and he's, wait, why? I'm interested in that. Why? Why? Well, the song for his his song is is old. It's so old now. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm quite sure. Um, and it's about cocaine, honestly. So it's a song about cocaine, and there was so much controversy about it. And I'm quite sure he's been asked a trillion times, right? Why are you in love with the cocoa? Because that's the repeated hook. And she asked him, you know, something about that, and he. I mean, it, it just looked volatile. So, um, yeah, so I think that, you know, that could have been a mistake on her part or whatever. But I think that, you know, yeah, you have to be careful. You ask someone their age or, you know, you don't know that they're sick of this song being asked questions about it or, you know, things 
the you know if you show perhaps a lack of preparation, then yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. The rest of the interview is gonna be tough. I actually, you know, that's funny. I so I've been in a lot of locker rooms where you're surrounded by other writers while they're asking questions, and I actually, I think if you could take a camera, a shot of my face, there are questions that make me visibly cringe, and they're not. It's not the awkward questions. It's not the uncomfortable questions. It's when someone asks a question that I know this guy has been asked 500 times. You know, right. I, I hate that so much. It is the worst way to start an interview is to ask a question that they've been asked a million times. Um, Absolutely. And that yeah. to me is a product of not knowing, walking in ignorant, you know, not knowing your stuff. Um, Definitely. Yeah. You, um, it's, it's so interesting because uh, I'm even, I'm literally staring at a picture of you, of you with Flavor Flav on Facebook right now. Um, <laughs> right, which, yeah. which is just fantastic. And um, I was thinking, you you work in a world where your site is going to be critical of the same people who you see and cover, and have probably grown up a fan of. I mean, you're going to write, you're going to have, you're going to have negative pieces on guys. You're going to be critical of people's music, and then you're going to see them. Um, yeah, is that awkward? Is it? Does, do do you think most professionals know that as part of the business? Have you had have, has that led in your twenty years of doing this to sort of confrontation or hostilities along the way? Yeah, we've definitely had confrontations and hostilities, and yeah, I mean, just like what's the other an example? Day, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, uh, we've had extreme examples. I mean, guys have showed up at people's houses. <laughs> what we've had? Yeah, we've had you know we've had cases like that. We've you know just the other day, Method Man told my writer at the soul train Awards, stop trolling me which nobody really knows what he's talking about but, but you know it's always something and we've i feel like we've been able to navigate that just because because we're balanced um unfor you know to use fox's term fair and balanced mm -hmm. and you know we we tend to keep it well we've kept it very ap i would say oh most of the time which is the facts mm -hmm. and our opinions don't always factor into it. So I think that's the ultimate reason why we've, we've always been fair and balanced and, and the review is never done out of malice. It's always done from a hip hop point of view and a, um, an honest point of view. And if you don't like something, you kind of back that up with, with pretty solid reasons. Right. But let's say you review, uh, I don't know, like you, you wrote a review of Vic Mensa's CD a while ago, the, auto, the autobiography, and you gave it a good review. But let's mm. say you hated it. Like, let's say you absolutely hated his new album. Um, uh -huh. Do you feel like there's a way, like, are you comfortable savaging uh, a piece of what this guy considers artwork? And then are you comfortable knowing maybe three weeks later, you're probably going to run into him at some event? <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? I'll be honest. I don't tend to savage anything. Um, if there is something that's that bad, I tend to contextualize it intellectually and oh, that's intelligently. What do you mean? Yeah, How do you the, do that? That's interesting. I, I just, I like to back everything up because I don't, I just tend to, li I like to back everything up with, with with data almost you know what i mean like even though it's still your opinion i just like to back it up with data so if you are let me think i'm trying to think i don't know i have I've not, yes i don't do sad 
Which I just de- I definitely never do that. I mean, I think maybe in the back of my mind, maybe there is some of that. I'm gonna see this person, but I don't see artists that much. Right. Um. I mean, I see them, but I don't see them, and I'm not that friendly with them to the point where they may even know I wrote something. They may know all hip hop did something, but you know, I, I feel like those days are sh- are are slowly like going away, honestly. But but um, I've had that situation though. I mean, and one time editorially, um, an artist who I won't name. Um, did not like a piece I did for the Source magazine, and he just went, he went crazy. He went nuts. Wait, but what does that mean? I, How does that show itself? Uh, I, th- I just think he, like, completely cursed the editor out and uh, was just, you know, I've, I know this artist, and he's, yeah, he's got that that potential to really go crazy. So <laughs> it wasn't in person, but it was definitely, I definitely didn't speak to that guy for at least two years. Wow. You know, yeah, two years straight and maybe, maybe longer. And now we're all cool and on good ground. But I don't even know. You know, time passes. And I think a lot of these guys just forget it. They forgot what happened mostly. That's really interesting. I had a, uh, so I had a writer on uh, this uh, maybe 10 episodes ago and she writes for ProPublica. And she actually said in politics, when you get someone screaming at you on the phone, you know, you have them. She said, because they're eventually going to be embarrassed by their actions and then they're going to talk more because they'll feel so guilty about it. Is it not that way? Do you find in hip hop? Um, nah, I don't think it's that way. I think, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that in hip hop, it's not. You don't want to be on the receiving end of someone screaming. There's other consequences that go with that. Um, you might want to get someone uncomfortable. You might want to get someone upset but not to the point where you or you or you want to get someone you know you want to stir some passion up in them you know but you definitely don't want to get them screaming at you you that's a negative absolutely but we've had those types of near situations but never to that degree right you know never to that degree right i hate but i yeah go ahead yeah i had a i had a i and you know it's frowned upon you know i had an interaction with joe budden one time and and this was in front of a live studio audience and Joe Budden, um, those that don't know, he he came around um, in the era of lyricism and also kind of the era of the Internet rapper. So he was one of the first rappers to do Internet rap. Mm-hmm. But but like but like he he had a dispute with me on him, whether he or cannabis, who to me was the true first Internet rapper, um, were were you know he thought he was the first one and I we we had like a literal argument on the on the stage and it, it wasn't it wasn't positively received by by um, Apple who I was doing this on behalf of or um, him you know so I was kind of supposed to just accept what he said you know as a fact or as a law or whatever and I just completely disagreed with that. Well, that's very interesting. So did you like look back? Do you think you? Do you feel like I, I, I didn't see the situation. Do you feel like you crossed the line at all as a like, should you have not done something you did as a journalist or do you look back and think, eh? no, because I see it as entertainment, too. Like I have to I feel like those things are positive. It gives people something to, to walk away from. I feel like it's something that's memorable. I feel like people need things like that to to, you know, we're in a social media driven media age. And if you don't do something that sets you apart from other interviews, then you're going to be forgotten quickly. Right. 
you know. Right. And that's that's sad, but it's true. Um, you, you know it's pretty dazzling, I gotta say, Chuck. You founded all hip hop dot com, co founded nineteen ninety eight, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely insane. Because nineteen ninety eight in in uh internet terms is like in you know, if we're talking society is like nineteen thirty. You know, it's like <laughs> no, I mean that right. is on how the hell how the hell did that happen? Now, how did it even happen? Like, how did you say, it's 1998, you're doing what? I'm running back and forth to New York every weekend or sometimes during the week. From where? Where were you living? In from Delaware. Delaware. Okay. Yeah, from Delaware. Um, interviewing people um, and writing and phoners and phoners, you know, doing as much as possible while working at uh, MBNA Bank, if you remember that. Wow. Yeah, working at MBNA in the day and and going to New York and and whatever's going on in Delaware at night, living a basically a double life. But what happened was, um, I would do things like go to Double XL magazine and just after they didn't respond to me sending clips, I would literally go to the office and knock on the door and no one would answer. Wow. And I'd be like, how the hell do I get into these places from Delaware and no one's responding to anything I do? So ultimately, I started um, a magazine called Tantrum, which was um, an earlier version of all hip hop where I would just dump all of my stories that I wrote for magazines onto the website. And So Tantrum was a website. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tantrum was a website. And ultimately I wanted it to be a magazine, mm-hmm. but uh it didn't, you know, it didn't work out like that. So my business partner was also doing all hip hop at the same time. And we were good friends and rap buddies and we used to rap and, and still were at that time. But he he had the name All Hip Hop and we I started giving him my articles, I started doing graphics for him and and we really formed an organic partnership. And, um, you know, in 98, we, we became business partners as well. So, you know, that was it. But it really just came from a, a complete lack of opportunity. And um, I just saw the Internet as my global resume, you know, my um, worldwide resume. And, um, and, and it was just um, simple as that. But you must have... I mean, there was no way in 1998 to know that the internet would become the internet. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there, there were, there were certainly, it was, it was coming along, but I, right. I, I can't imagine you were thinking, oh, 20 years from now, I'm going to have this thriving website and I'm going to have, you know, blah, blah, blah followers. And it's going to be like, was there a, did you view it as a long-term solution to something or did you view it as, well, this is something I can do now and hopefully it'll lead to, maybe I can land a spot at a print magazine one day. Yeah, I think part of me, at least for the first two years, just saw it as a as a resume that that people would be able to notice me in New York without reading paper articles or, you know, things like that. I don't know, man. I mean, honestly, to answer that question is tough. And it's almost like asking someone that walks in the woods, did you know you were going to find land? You know, did you know you were going to strike gold or you know what I mean? Right, right. You just don't really know. I truly can't say that I knew. Now, I will say this after at, once we hit around the year 2000, 2001, um I knew that 
we were on to something because we started getting the attention of people like Russell Simmons and Jay-Z and, and all those guys. And so once that happened, I, then we knew we were on to something. What does that mean, getting the attention? Like, how, how, how did that manifest itself? Like, did, would Russell Simmons say, hey, this is great, or would you hear from him, or how would that work? Well, we were the first, I think, uh, we were the first, and I think maybe Yahoo was the very first, but we were certainly one or two of the first websites to deliver wireless content. And we started sending news alerts to people's two-way pagers, and, you know, at the time, whatever you would have an AOL device though they had AOL devices then they had clamshell um Motorola pagers um and probably and any an email too an email right. as well right and so we were emailing and sending wire it was mostly wirelessly though so we would do this once or twice a day and if there was breaking news like someone getting shot or if there was breaking news someone signed such and such deal to whatever we would send those alerts out and if you were like in a party for example everybody would be checking their device so it would glow up at the same time in an in like a party environment or something it was like it was pretty amazing at the time so people like russell simmons jay-z and diddy and all those guys and the whole industry was on our list at that time that's amazing and, thousands of people yeah so that's where that was the you know the change that uh most websites didn't have what's cool is like and, uh, you're just some kid in delaware yeah like you're a kid yeah, in delaware man. you're a kid from delaware right exactly jeff let me tell you something i cried the other day i literally cried i'm not even gonna lie i'm not gonna front i'm not gonna play tough guy i was in la on stage with Run D, what well, DMC from Run DMC, Slick Rick, Red Man, the Black Eyed Peas, um, 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 Eric B from Eric B and yeah. Rakim, and I'm taping this behind backstage, and I literally started crying. I was like, I cannot believe this is my life. I'm on stage with all of my heroes. I mean, like. At least pieces of them. Flavor Flav was there. I'm like, I grew up looking at these guys. Right. So from from Del and I and I kick it with DMC. Like he's someone I consider a friend. I'm like, I can't believe this is my life. And I told Eric B that as I whispered it to him. I'm in the you know we're backstage in the uh, dressing room, and I told him like, dude, I just want you to know, like we're really like me and Eric B are cool. Like uh -huh. we're like we're friends. We talk without him asking for anything and me asking for anything. And I said to him, I said, yo, I just want you to know this is never going to be normal for me. I and, love that. Yeah. And yes, I'm from Delaware. And I, I told DMC too, I said, and this is uh, in my latest interview with him. I said, you know, people asked me recently, how, how was it moving from Delaware, which has nothing, there's nothing like New York city. And not having a problem moving to New York City, I said, well, I, I was into comic books. All my comic heroes are from New York. So I had, you know, Daredevil and Spider-Man showed me what New York was like, at least in my head. And then hip hop, you know, hip hop painted vivid pictures of New York life. And so when I moved to New York, I moved straight to Flatbush, Brooklyn without without with no problems at all aside from money, you know, <laughs> right. But you know, other than that, I had no problems moving 
moving right in. And they, and a lot of people assume I'm from New York for that very reason. Right. But you're just a kid from Delaware. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really interesting. Like, uh, I was just thinking, so I grew up in a very small town in way upstate New York. And, um, mm. and you know, I, this is going to sound so cliche, right? But it was like 99% white and people listen to rock music. And my best friend was an African-American kid who was into hip hop. And I remember he, like, just as an example, he, um, Big Daddy Kane's I Get the Job Done. You know, mm -hmm. I, I loved that. Love that. And I, I brought it to our high school dance junior year and I begged the guy to play it and he played it and everyone got off the floor. Right. <laughs> it, it just cleared. And I feel like hip hop, one of the beauties of hip hop is it, it takes kids like me um, and it exposes them to something they would not see. And it opens their minds and it introduces them to characters and to lifestyles and to different places. And I just think there's a beauty in hip hop, um, that is, I don't, I don't know if it's unspoken or misunderstood, but I just think mm -hmm. it's, there's a beauty to it that it, it, it takes a lot of places, people, places where they haven't been, you know? Yeah. And it kind of took you from Delaware to New York. Absolutely. I mean, I think it works both ways. I think that it shows, uh, different facets of life in urban or black America that people wouldn't normally see. And then sometimes I feel like it's, a, there's a bit of an exploitative aspect to it at this point, and that's what I don't like. Wait, what do you mean so, by that? Well, I feel like I feel like now, unlike when you were showing people like Big Daddy Kane, you might take drill music, for example, where kids are literally in Chicago getting murdered, you know, more than any other city, and kids might gravitate to that, and only that. Mm -hmm. And love and sort of use it as entertainment without understanding what's really going on in those cities. So, um, that's where that's where I have a problem, and I think that's kind of where the all hip hop fight comes in, because we're always trying to show people the different aspects of of hip hop, not just not again. You're talking about Big Daddy Kane, who as an artist he inherently represents all those facets: the dance part, the educational part the braggadocious part the you know the the true essence of hip-hop mm -hmm. but i think now you see and this is where the disconnect comes i think now people only show the hood where it's like the murder rate is you know quadruple the national average and we don't ever hear from a big daddy king interesting whoever that person may be nowadays right yeah that's so, a bummer. That's a yeah, so so it's an edge. It's it's a beautiful thing, but again, we have to. I think we have to uphold all of those aspects. Right. There was the obvious. Yeah. Um. There was the obvious example of sort of Eminem smackdown of of Donald Trump a few weeks ago. But um, how do you feel like hip hop, hip hop community, hip hop artists, sort of, uh, you know, I guess in in a broad stroke, has sort of reacted and responded to the Trump presidency. You know, before Eminem, there were a lot of rappers saying the same thing. Um, YG, Snoop Dogg, mm -hmm. um, there's countless others as well who were critical of Donald Trump, whether it be in song and on tour or just in op-ed pieces or, you know, such as Talib Kweli, pieces that are, are articulately written. But, um, but you know... Eminem is a 
huge artist and um i think that yeah collectively hip-hop has spoken out against donald trump since you know before he was even elected you know in opposition so the you know look hip-hop is truly a reflection of the people like unlike any other art form it's it's truly a reflection of where people are and so maybe those voices aren't as loud as they might have been uh back in the day because the people aren't where they were back in the day right you know back in the day we were coming out of the murders of malcolm x and Mal Mar martin luther king and malcolm x and we were also sort of seeing you know this opulence in the 80s or 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 maybe not opulence but you know it was an an upwardly an upward project an upward oh god edit this we were moving up like the jeffersons right right god <laughs> you know what i mean so there was you know there was public enemy but there was also big gold chains and stuff you know what i mean yeah. so so you might not have had a problem with a with a a, a, a rapper like ll cool j who wasn't political at all at that time right which which people actually did to be honest you know people did have a problem with 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 ll um not because he was bad or anything but just because he wasn't doing what public enemy was doing and they and they wanted public enemy at that particular time right yeah right. so you know i think hip-hop's done what it's what it does it's, it represents it's a it's a mirror of where we are and wh whether or not we like that or hate that it, it is what it is right do you feel like um as far as uh as far as uh, media, hip hop media goes, do you? Uh, that's interesting. You mentioned Double XL. I was actually writing for Slam Magazine at that exact same time. Oh, right. See, while you were probably locked outside the building, I was actually inside getting <laughs> some crappy assignment from uh, Slam. But right, uh, right. Um, and I actually thought Slam was a really interesting idea because Slam sort of merged hip hop and basketball into a really interesting sort of publication. Um, mm -hmm. And I wonder, is you know, I. I vividly, you know, from from Double XL to the Source um, vibe. I mean, do hip hop magazines, literal magazines, have any importance anymore, or is that just is it much like print across the spectrum? Is it sort of a dead entity? Yeah, I think it's mostly dead. I mean, some might argue this. Um, shoot, this that's a tough question because. Uh, I know, like, for example, Double XL would definitely disagree with me. I know the source would definitely disagree with me. But, and honestly, Jeff, I'll just be frank. I'll say that, you know, do hip-hop websites even matter at this point? You know, it's not a personal thing. It's a business thing at this point. And and where, where do the hip-hop websites really matter and i think all hip-hop definitely matters mm -hmm. but if you look beyond all hip-hop and a couple others you know it's tougher and tougher and tougher for us to really impact the culture wait why is and that chuck why is that because 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 mainstream likes hip-hop again you know so if you really look at the landscape of who's doing what in hip-hop a lot of times you're not talking about a hip-hop website Sometimes you're talking about TMZ. Yeah. Other times you're talking about ABC, you know, or or Method Man is doing a new limp, you know, rap battle show on on some other network. You know what I mean? So a lot of times we're talking about places that 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 seem to s suggest hip hop, but really aren't hip hop. 
at all, you know, and I'm not being, I'm not di disrespecting those places because I think that's always been the case. But when you looked at Yo MTV Raps, guess what you were seeing? You were seeing hip hop. Right. You know what I mean? You were seeing Fab Five Freddy and uh, Dr. Dre and Ed Lover, and they were the embodiment of hip hop. You know, at least at least in my eyes. Right. Nowadays you might see some goofball talking about hip hop and it's not even a hip hop conversation and it's just annoying to me. Yeah. You know, I mean what whereas mm -hmm. No, go ahead, what were you gonna say? I was saying they need to hire me. Oh <laughs> you're hired. If I had any uh, if I had any hiring. It is interesting because you work in or actually sports and hip hop are very slim similar in that they're worlds of bullshit and you have to navigate through bullshit. And what I mean is I in sports, there's, I, I've actually taught my daughter as a joke to bullshit her way through sports conversations. She knows nothing about sports, but I've given right. her like five lines that you can use that make you sound enough. I really think that team has a lot of potential. I like the way they're right. moving. You know, like I thought their right. last move was good. And I feel like I'm never 100% certain when I'm talking to people who love hip hop, whether they actually know all the artists people are talking about or if they're just afraid to admit they don't. Because there is an element of need to kind of seem kind of cool with music. And I wonder, do you have a very good bullshit detector? Do you feel like you can tell quick if someone's full of shit? Um, <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, but I don't. I think most people, you know, most, I'll, I'll put it like this. Most people have an opinion in hip hop or music that tends to be more or less valid based on who they are. So if I talk to my 17-year-old cousin, he's going to he's he's inevitably going to say something that I don't agree with. Right. But from his point of view, it's it's probably pretty cool, you know. And he's not always wrong or bad or anything like that. It's just from a 17-year-old point of view. If you're from LA, which I've talked to people all the time from LA and they say something about East Coast rap, you know, they're usually on point. Now, sometimes you get people who say really dumb stuff and you just ignore it and keep moving because a lot of times those guys are just perpetrating and they just I just ignore people that say say stuff that's so off point. I give them a pass. Usually I just give them a pass. All right, but if I say to my nephew, just as an example, who I love and is the best, but if I said to him like, like a group my son and I really like and we just stumbled upon accidentally is people under the stairs, right? You know, mm -hmm. people under the stairs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and no, uh, actually, no. I do know that name, but I can't. I can't remember. They're kind of like a tribe called Quest, and they were around in the early two thousands. Anyway, so you just did something. You just said no, I don't. And yeah, you know, I did do that. But if I said to my son, uh, my nephew, if I were like, "What do you think of people under the stairs?" He'd probably be like, "Oh yeah, I don't know that much about them, but I like them. They're pretty good." And I feel like there's a lot of that in music where people are like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I heard they're kind of dope," but you know, blah blah blah. And, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yo, have you ever seen? Have you ever seen like like on Jimmy Kimmel or something? They'll say they'll they'll go in the streets and they'll be like, "Yeah, what do you think about right. the earthquake that just happened in California, where exactly. half the whole state went into the ocean?" Right. Nine times out of ten, people are gonna be like, "Oh my god, it was so tragic." I can't believe. Exactly. <laughs> right. Because we hate looking stupid. That's our number right. one fear is looking stupid. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I don't do that often. I, I usually try to keep it real. Yeah, no, I respect that. Yeah. Um, final thing. I'm going to read a passage uh, from something you wrote that I thought was this great. Uh, you wrote about uh, Jay-Z, Jay Electronica, and Vic Mensa. And I have to say, Jay Electronica is one of my 
for the four songs he's ever released. He's one of my all-time yeah. favorite artists. Um, right. Jay-Z, Jay Electronica, and Vic Mensa are men. Once upon a time, rappers were superheroes. They were infallible, larger than life, and largely one-dimensional super beings that could do no wrong. When they did wrong, it was often hidden unless it served a greater purpose, like labels being able to exploit flaws and misery for sales. In other cases, we saw grotesque, sort tortured souls that were like audible reality shows that we watched die, burn out, or fall off a cliff of, of obscurity. We rarely, if ever, saw black men deal with depression, trial, tribulation, defeat amid victory, drug addiction, women, and relationships. Instead, we saw them perceptually at odds with other, uh, perpetually at odds with other black men, women, society, and themselves in the most destructive ways. First of all, that's awesome. Like that is so good. I just mean as a Thanks. writer, that's fantastic. Um, Thanks. Do you really feel that way? It's it's a very interesting take. Like, do you feel like the rapper as a superhero, as a guy who we look up to, or woman we look up to, and we just view as this? Wow. You know? Do you feel like that? is dead and do you feel like it is better the way it is in a way that we have textured portraits of these people? Well, the kid in me definitely likes the superhero right. aspect of rappers way more than the flawed or broken or, you know, right. the guy that cheats on his wife, like, oh, God, why did you tell me this? You know what I mean? Of course. Or, you know, or the drug addict or whatever, um, or the guy that's dealing with depression. Um, you want to see, I think as a young black kid, I, I liked and appreciated to the aspects of run DMC that made me stronger. I don't know that knowing at the time that DMC had an alcohol problem would have, would have helped me at that point in, in time as a person. Right. Um, however, I will say that times have changed and as we, um, are dealing with different things, um, i.e. depression, the changing world around us. Um, and, and, and this is in the 90s, too. Like, I want to be clear. Like, I, my dad died in 1990. So I was in an extremely weird space. So there were artists that I gravitated to, like Scarface, who dealt with depression. And, and they were so negative in a lot of different ways the ghetto boys. But, but at that time, that was what I needed to hear, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and at times, you know, it's funny because I remember a very specific time, one of the um, young editors at the review checked me on something that I wrote regarding depression in an article. And she was like, I don't think that's like, you shouldn't be saying that. And I was like, in my head, I was like, look, you don't, you don't know what I'm going through right now. Right. You have no idea what I, what's going on in this quiet guy. You know, so right. I, I, again, I didn't say anything to her. I kept what I wrote because it was a column, but I really was pissed off at the fact that she would, how dare she say something to me um, about this write-up. So I say all that to say this, you know, black men, uh, black people, people in general are very multi-layered, very deep. We don't we only tend to see the ref the best, you know, the representative. We see what people want you to see um, with artists, even like Mariah Carey and, you know, whoever, Justin Bieber. You only kind of see what's what was marketed and promoted at that time, which was a bubblegum image or you know, don't do drugs image or whatever. Um, now kids are killing themselves in like 
record amounts and they're on drugs and they're dealing with a different set of issues that we didn't deal with. Right. So I feel like it's important for Vic Mensa to say that it's as a grown man, it's important for Jay Electronica to say that to me as another grown man. Right. You know, so and Jay Z as well. Jay Z's album was resonated with me. I I have one. I have a daughter. I'm divorced, and uh, and I'm a black owned business. And I see things in a different light than I did when I first started rapping. And so do they. Right. You know, we we hip hop and we have evolved since the 80s and 70s and 90s. You know. And yeah. So it's a you know. You know what's interesting, Chuck? Is um, it's funny. So. In sports, it's very similar in that, you know, like you're a kid and whatever. You grow up a Mets fan in the 80s and you think Keith Hernandez or Dwight Gooden or Darryl Strawberry. And these guys are these, you see them on billboards and they are untouchable. And as a sports writer, you cover and you're, so all of a sudden you're, you see the man behind the the curtain and these guys are humans and you hear them farting and you see them cheating on their (laughs) wives and, you know, a million different things. And it causes... They always say the, the, the worst thing to do to a sports fan is make him a sports writer because they'll stop right. being a sports fan. And yet you, despite seeing the flaws, have maintained your love of hip-hop. And I think that's actually a very beautiful uh, and maybe rarer than you think thing that you've, able, you've been able to overcome sort of the negatives that you see and still embrace the positives. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I, I, I appreciate it. I don't, unfortunately, I can't share all of that with my kid, but I do, I do in fact still love it. Right, you know. So, yeah. um, I'm gonna share. I'm gonna share a final thought with you, which is my my son is 11 and he loves hip hop, and he loves 90s. He's in the 90s hip hop and 80s hip hop, and uh, we've been listening to a lot of Curtis Blow lately, and <laughs> he just finds Curtis Blow the funniest. He does not understand how Curtis Blow had a career in rap because everything he basically, <laughs> especially on the breaks, he basically picks any word he wants to rhyme with anything. You know, like it's there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just you know, I went right. to a bar and I saw a car. These are right. You know, um, and I, but I, but I think <laughs> I still, I just find even the innocence of hip hop from the eighties to be kind of a joyful, you know, my son in the backseat at age 11 laughing at Curtis Blow is just as right. cool as you and I listening to Jay Electronica and finding inspiration from his message. Maybe that's the beauty of it all. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I love Curtis Blow. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, well, look, Chuck, as a, as a, uh, as a fellow blue hen and a fellow product of the university of Delaware review, um, I am. Uh, it's 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 wonderful for me, and I, I mean that sincerely with with complete integrity. It is wonderful for me to see the sort of success you've had and to see what, what you've become in this business, and it, it brings me sort of great pride. and And I I really do appreciate you doing this with me today. Yeah, and likewise, Jeff. I've always looked up to you. Believe it or not. Uh, you, I you, yep. Yeah, I appreciate that. I want to thank today's guest, Chuck Creekmer, for joining me on Two Riders Slinging Yang. You can follow Chuck on Twitter at Chuck Creekmer and also at allhiphopcom and visit his personal website at chuckcreekmer.com. One can listen to Two Riders Slinging Yang on both iTunes and Bumpers.fm. iTunes reviews are always appreciated. The music, again, is by the great MC White Owl. Thank you for joining me, and remember, keep writing.